previously on The One Man Show. So today's episode is dedicated to my dad. This month is his birthday month, and he would have celebrated his birthday. Wanted to take this time and take this episode to um, dedicate it to him. Welcome to the One Man Show Part 2, Remembering My Dad. And thanks for all your feedback. Thanks for listening to the last episode uh, where I talked about my dad. Again, this month, he would have celebrated his birthday. And I just wanted to take this time to remember him and some of the memories I've had of him um, from when I was a kid all the way to an adult. And the last episode, I went over my childhood with him and our relationship how he was, how I was. And this episode, I wanted to go over my adult years with my dad. So at this point now, I'm about 22, 23 years old. I'm grown. I have a, I have a full-time job. And me and my dad is about to bond in a different way. Early on in my career, early, you know, my early 20s, I was into triathlons, biathlons, marathons. I did a lot of road races. So swimming, running, biking, that was my thing in my early 20s. And uh, I ended up getting a job at a hotel. And I had, again, I had that, like I mentioned in the last episode, I had that car that he got me for my graduation as my graduation present. It was a 1987 BMW 325e, white, crank sunroof let me tell you it was hot at least back then it was hot because i don't think i had ac but no it was hot so at this time i'm in my early 20s i'm lifeguarding got a new job at the hotel and from what i remember he i guess his car wasn't working at the time or or i don't know how it happened but he would borrow my car while i went to work so i would work my eight hour shift he would drop me off in my car And then he would take it and do what he had to do during the day. What was also cool about that is he would always wash it or he would wax it for me. So after I'm done with work, I'd come outside. He'd be there and my car is like spotless. He waxed it. He washed it. He made it look really nice. He always took care of it. No matter what he used, regardless of what it was, he always took care of it. He always brought it back in one condition and probably in better shape than it was before. So my early memories of him is going to this mall. If you live in Hawaii, Ala Moana Shopping Center, and he would go to the bottom level. If you guys remember this, right by where, below where Sears used to be. Uh, Right now there's like Old Navy there. Uh, I think they just built a Chick-fil-A. But anyway, he would go down there and then he would always wash and wax the car. And that was his spot to to clean the car and, and, you know, take care of it. So anyway, after work, would always have it nicely washed, waxed. And this went on for a period of time. When it came to my races, this is where we would bond. I guess our father-son relationship just got better and better and better. Because 
again, he was using my car a lot of times and his car was broken or it was down. So he would end up taking me to my races. And that's where me and him had that bond because he was a waterman and he did, you know, swimming in the water. He, he paddled canoe and I was a swimmer. I was a swimmer in high school. And then after that, out of high school, I would, you know, do um, some ocean races and whatnot. So he would take me to my races. He would wait for me. He'd be on the side, you know, supporting me, cheering me on. And then afterwards, it was pretty cool because he would give me like a play-by-play. I remember one race I had, he was like the first and second place guy. You were so close to them. You were right behind them. You were so close because I think I got third place or fourth place at the time. And he gave me a play-by-play. Yeah, you almost had him. You know, he was coming out the water. And so it was so cool because we now we had something to bond over, which was my races. And he'd go to multiple races. And he was almost like my uh, my Mickey. You know, if you remember the Rocky movies, he was like my Mickey. I was like Rocky. And he was like my coach in a way. And the one thing I learned during that time and a lot of people do this to their parents, is sometimes you just got to let them talk. Sometimes you have to let them feel like they're teaching you something. Because I think when someone doesn't have purpose anymore, when they feel like, eh, what is there to, what is there to teach them about? They know everything. I guess I'm of no use to them. Uh, that's when they start, to me, they start going downhill and they just start feeling a little less valuable. So we would be in the car, we'd be driving home from the race, and he would say things like, yeah, you know when you swim, you got to put your arm in the the water like this, and you got to move like this. And now, mind you, I I was on the swim team. Uh, You know, I definitely swam better. I knew more about swimming than him. But yeah, I knew, of course, I knew more than him at that point. But I just, I decided to just shut up. And I just listened. I let him have that moment to teach me something, to feel like he was teaching me something and to feel like I was actually listening. And that lesson right there, I've taken with me forever. Sometimes you just got to let someone talk and let them teach you something. You know, it doesn't hurt to just say, okay, or just say thank you and just take the advice. Now I'm in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s. I'm still seeing him, you know, we're we're still doing races. The races have kind of died out a bit. So we do have this period where he's still checking up on me. He's still calling and whatnot. But now I'm in a relationship. Now I'm doing my own thing. And we would come in contact again in my early 30s. Now, by this time, my two brothers had already lived with him or they were still living with him. And like I mentioned in the last episode, he would eventually try to help us in his own way. Being that he wasn't there a lot growing up, he made the attempt in another way to be there for us. And his way of showing it was to have us move in with him, which was just a studio, by the way. It was a one bedroom, but really it was like a studio. And he would have us uh, move in one at a time to live there rent free so that we could save up and we could afford a place of our own. Or we had time to pay off bills. I always said to myself, my, my two brothers went in there before I did. And I always said to myself, nah, I, that's not me. I, I don't see myself living with him. I, I don't think I could do that. And eventually, after I had a breakup, um, 
there were things that I went through. I, I, I went through depression. I went through anxiety. Uh, there were a lot of things. It was a really difficult season for me. But I decided at that time when I was moving out and leaving the relationship, I decided that it might be a good idea to live with him. I couldn't go back with my mom because at that point, my mom was already in like a kind of like a, um, a, a an apartment complex for seniors and they didn't allow anyone living with them. So I couldn't go there and I couldn't I wasn't ready to go on my own because at that time I was actually unemployed as well and I was just working on my business. So I had to get up on my feet again. And I knew it would be a smart move if I took his offer. So I ended up moving in and again there was a different kind of bond, you know. We previously were bonding during my races. Now I'm living with the guy and I'm on the living room floor. I'm sleeping there every night and he's on the couch basically right next to me and he would drive me nuts. Every night he would be snoring so loud <laughs> and I, I, I had no choice. I had to go through it. So it was me, my brother, and it was him. The, that snoring and, and everything else just motivated me even more to save up my money, pay off some bills, and get out of there and go into my my own place but during that time um there were so many ways that we bonded i mean i i remember little things that he'd do i'd come home and he would say hey you know i got some food in the refrigerator if you want to eat we had a store directly across the street we were living in waikiki and there was a a store or a food pantry directly across the street so he would always buy food and he would have leftovers or he would cook and he would always say, hey, Damon, I got some food, uh, some leftovers, you know. Make sure you eat, yeah? I got this, I got that. So I was practically spoiled. It was like, you know, the 80s all over again. And now he was cooking and he was doing all these things. Mind you, over the years, you do soften. And as you age, you start, you start realizing, um, I guess, what's truly important. And you start trying to make right of your wrongs and the mistakes that you made or trying to make up for it and i don't think he was trying to that was just his natural way of that was just him he was a giving person and if he could give you the shirt off his back or he could give you his his leftover food he would do that so i'd come home every day to that and um he'd be out most of the time he was going out with his friends you know now he's he's in his 60s so he's at the the ending part of his life and he's just enjoying it he's not working he's retired a lot of times i had the place to myself if my brother wasn't home i had the place to myself i all those little things you know those just those memories um it was even though it was stressful at times living there three guys in a studio basically uh it was good memories there was a a pancake place a breakfast place or pancake waffle place called Wailana and that was like like two minutes away a two minute walk away from where we were living and he would <laughs> he would always that was his favorite place he would always tell me to hey can you uh you know grab me some pancakes and this could be like at 10 p.m it could be at like uh, all times of the night the day I remember him bringing home pancakes sometimes or waffles and or I'd go get him that and um Eventually, it came to the point where I, I just couldn't stand living there because 
again, three guys in the place. Parking in Waikiki is tough. I would always have to look for like a half hour or more, drive around just to look for parking because I didn't have a parking stall. So every time after work, I would have to, yeah, drive all the way around half an hour or so, try to look for parking. And it was just very stressful. So I ended up moving out. Now we're in the year 2012 or so. And I got my own place. I saved up because of him. He let me save up and pay off bills. And I got myself out of that hole. Now I'm living on my own. Eventually, we would find out that he had prostate cancer. And my dad, if he if he did have a downfall of his, it was he didn't check up regularly. He didn't, you know, do the annual checkups or check up with his doctor because he could have caught the cancer ahead of time and he definitely would have still been around. Mind you that his siblings have lived to their late 80s, their early 90s. And when he passed away, he was only like 73 or 72 years old. So this cancer period, uh, again, like the triathlon and races, like the moving in, it was another chance of us connecting and becoming closer and bonding. And it came with a lot of hardship on the family, between my relationship between my brothers, um, a lot. And I don't need to get into that, but what I can tell you is his cancer would... Not slowly, but it it went by really fast. But I guess you could say it slowly started getting worse and worse and worse. In my eyes, I felt like it just passed by so fast. I remember taking him on his um his you know his one of his first few doctor's appointments, and at the time he had a cane because he had trouble walking and balancing a little bit. And then I remember him having a walker. I remember this very clear in my head, us walking down the hallways, going to the doctor, me going with him. He went from a cane to a walker to eventually a wheelchair. And that's how fast cancer will just attack you and eat you up. And I was with him for those doctor's appointments. Uh, my brother as well that was living with us, he was there you know, for a lot of the, uh, whenever he could for the doctor's appointments. As the cancer got worse, he would call me in like, you know, two, three in the morning and tell me I don't have food and I, I need this and I need this. And, and you know, I know he wasn't in his right state of mind, but still at two, three in the morning, and I don't think I had my car at the time, I had to ride my bike all the way to his apartment and I had to tend to him and, and um, help him with whatever he needed. And it was tough. If you're a caregiver or you, you're in this situation, it, it is tough. I wasn't living there, but I I did have to drop in and I had to bring him food and I had to you know do whatever I could on my part. Uh, but my brother was the main caregiver and my brother was living with him still, but I had already moved out. And eventually the cancer progressed and it got worse and worse and worse. And... Uh, Eventually, he went to hospice. One one funny memory I, I have of him, before he went to hospice, he was still at home, was one time he told me, okay, can you turn the fan a little to the left because it's kind of cold. The fan is hitting him. And I turned it to the left, and he would say, okay, a little bit to the right. 
And all these little increments he would make, like a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. <laughs> this went on like 20 to 30 seconds to the point where like I was barely moving it to the left or to the right. And I was like, Dad. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know if he just did that, you know, to get on my nerves, whatever. But uh, maybe at times he didn't want me to leave and he wanted the company. And there were times where he, you know, he would tell me, come over, keep me company or, and I do whatever I could. But I, I remember that time with the fan and I, and again, like I talked about in the last episode, a lot of these things drive you crazy at the moment and you get angry, but then later on you look back at it and you just kind of laugh because you miss these moments, you know, these moments you can never get back and you appreciate it now that you look back at it. But back then it, it drove you crazy. So now he's in hospice and I'm going over to visit him again when I can. And uh, I a couple memories I have of him is, you know, again, the paranoia kicked in. And, and that could be because of the medication or whatnot. But he would leave voicemails in my, my phone. And to this day, I have kept at least 15 15 to 20 voicemails that he has left. He, he used to call every time and say, hey, this is dad. And can you bring me something? And I need this. And I, they're not taking care of me. You know, I don't think they're, you know, I think they're hiding this from me. And something's in the closet. And, you know, you go through this time period. And uh, I remember at times visiting him. Um, I remember helping him shave. I remember you know, watching TV together. I remember showing him some old movies that on a DVD player at the time that he's never saw. I wanted to show him all this stuff and I wanted to, you know, spend time as much as I could with him. I I didn't believe at the time. And I'm the kind of guy, if you know me, I hold out all the way to the very end. I don't give up until it is done. Until the fat lady sings, whatever you want to call it. I remember one night just going in my car, leaving him and closing my eyes and praying to God and say, look, if you're real, if you're truly real right now, like you say you are, like everyone says you are. And this was partly out of anger. I said, then save my dad. Then make me believe if you save him and you reverse all of this, then I'll believe in you. But right now he's suffering and I don't see anything happening. And, you know, it was. You, 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 you go through those stages, and I was in that anger stage. I'm like, you know, if we, if we truly believe in God and he's real and he saves us, he does all this thing, then why? Why is my dad on his deathbed? Why can there not be some kind of miraculous miracle that will save him? And, again, this is a stage in my life. This is a period, and it, it was just me acting out. Christmas time, one of my memories was um, a nurse came in and went to change him. And they put those privacy curtains around. And I remember, and I'm outside now. I'm sitting outside listening to him and what's going on, their conversation. I remember him saying, oh, it's cold, you know, because she's trying to change him. And then I swear, I swear this happened. For some reason, they started going into song in a, in a duet. He said, oh baby, it's cold outside. And she would say her line and she'd be like, I gotta go away, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the lyrics to the song, but he would say, it's cold outside. And I'm sitting outside and I'm thinking, man, this guy still got game. <laughs> to the very end, he's still, he's, he's, he's singing a duet 
with his nurse and they're singing baby it's cold outside and uh ever since then whenever christmas season comes along that song i cannot listen to it without grinning and without smiling a little bit and thinking about him that song always reminds me of him and that duet he had with the nurse in hospice what a guy you know you have there's there's parts in your life where i guess instincts if you want to call it that or these feelings that you have and you just know you know and towards the end where he couldn't talk i remember holding his hand i remember telling him you know if you agree with me or or if it's yeah if the answer is yes um squeeze my hand or blink twice and he actually blinked twice and he would squeeze my hand and we communicated that way and that was his way of communicating with me and the last night i saw him i i visited him i i i left him and i was about to go to the door and i stopped at the entrance of his room and i remember turning around and looking at him and for some reason mind you the other nights i didn't do that just that one night i knew i had something in my head something uh, i knew that something was up something was different maybe i had an idea that that would be the last time i saw him or as close to his time but i remember turning around and just looking at him and just pausing there in the doorway and then i ended up turning around and leaving the next day at work i would get a phone call to say that my dad passed away and uh we you know it, it wasn't a surprise and it did help i guess to lessen the blow knowing that someone is about to pass versus getting a big surprise out of the blue that you know they passed away so we expected it for months now and he lived longer than what the doctor expected him to live and it was because he had a busy mind mind you he was a foreman he was always busy with his hands construction worker and he actually lived maybe a few months or more longer than what he was expected to i got the call wasn't surprised and then um you know we would go on to plan the funeral and and the scattering of his ashes and, and everything else from that time period in hospice the one memory the one vision i will never it will never leave me for the <laughs> for oh man damon i you know i i broke down in the last episode and i'm, I'm gonna try my best not to do that again that's why <laughs> that's why i had to do a second part the one vision i have in my head and it says it says so much i remember us being in the room i remember the doctor coming in and i remember my mom at his bedside holding his hand i remember them holding hands with the with just his light above his bed on and the rest of the room dark i remember them holding hands and it was so powerful because again they're divorced and my mom didn't have the best relationship with him and he wasn't there a lot of times and he he was with his friends and he put us in a in a hard situation in the very end she was there to hold his hand take care of his affairs and he said and my mom <laughs> my mom would always be like why are you saying that he would always call to the very end he would call her his wife my wife that's my wife so whenever doctors nurses would would come up to him he would say Hey, make sure my wife uh you know my wife is here and my mom would always say 
I'm not your wife anymore. We're not married. I'm your ex. He never liked the word ex. He didn't. He thought it just sounded stupid. He, it sounded wrong. Uh, he always, to the very end, even though they were divorced at that point for uh, probably about 20 years, he, he was adamant about continuing to call my mom his wife. And though he... He went with his friends. He had his fun. He left his family at times. He didn't spend his time um, at the very end of life. You know, those who matter, those who really love you the most, they will be there. And at the end, it was my mom holding his hand, and it was me and my brothers and my family, and we were in that room, and we were there for him. And I will never get that vision out of my head for as, for as long as I live. So again, uh, there's lots of lessons here learned. And even though you, someone messes up, they can make up for it later on if they just try and their heart is in it. And my dad, in my eyes, before I, before I get emotional again, he did that. And he made that effort and he made that attempt. And I have no ill feelings about him. I, I, I respect him. I understand where he came from. And I, I love him and I miss him to this day. And I still think about him. And uh, um, this is the last time I do uh, an emotional episode like this. But I hope you guys got something out of it. I hope you guys learned uh, a few lessons. And just have forgiveness in your heart. Have empathy. Put yourself in another person's spot. And everybody has good in them. Everybody deserves a second chance. And I'm going to leave it at that. So, uh, Dad, wherever you are. Out in the ocean, because I know we scattered your ashes there. Uh, I think about you to this day, every single day. There's not a day that goes by I don't think about you. Uh, we miss you. We love you. And um, we'll meet again one day. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jamie. I'm still waiting, Jamie. Thank you. Bye.